You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 264. Hello, David. Haven't seen you in two weeks. I know. Seems like only yesterday that we were uh, together in Chicago. So, obviously, last week's show we recorded a week ahead of time, which, when's the last time we did that? I don't know if we've ever done that. I know. Maybe at a Macworld. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, did we? Were we doing Tech Fan when we were at Macworld? I'm, I think I'm there was one finish. year that it crossed over. No. Boy, you know what? I don't think it did. I, I, I think the last year I did Macworld was for OWC Radio, and you were with my Mac yeah. podcast. That's right. Yeah. But I don't know. It seems like I did a... It seems like I did a podcast from there for Tech Fan, but you weren't there. I don't think I don't think I was there, no. Let me I'm just gonna Sorry. go to our search and go Mac World Expo. Do a quick search. Uh yeah, twenty eleven. I did uh Mac World Expo episodes seventeen and sixteen and fifteen. Uh, and, and well, the here's the days. thing, though. It says, uh, okay, the pre-show, pre-Mac World Expo show, you were on, but that was a week before. Yeah. Yep. And then day one, part one, part two. Uh, looks like Owen Rubin was there with me. Ira Fiegelman, Fiegel, Fiegelman. Uh, who I just became friends with on um, Facebook. All right. Uh, talking about Global Village at one point. So yeah, I remember that day. I, I remember. I don't remember the exact show. <clears throat> show. They all kind of blend in after a while. But yeah. I do remember uh, interviewing Ira. That was actually a pretty good episode because I was trying to convince him that he would be a good interviewee. And he just didn't think he could do it. So we went up to my hotel room. I broke out the mic and we recorded a show. And that was, anybody who wants to hear this, go back to uh, episode number 17, January 26th, 2011, uh, at com or MyMac.com, and you'll find it. And you can hear it. He did did really, really well. In fact, I I remember he worked for a company back in the day that screwed me over on a, a return or something. And I and I called him out <laughs> it on the show. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just actually like a month and a half, two months ago we became friends on Facebook. We were already connected on LinkedIn. Do you use LinkedIn? Yeah, you use uh, it. I use it for business. yeah, I use it for business, yeah. That's pretty much I don't, uh, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what it's for. It's for getting a new job. That's that's what it's most never, it's, it's never worked for me on that. No, it's never worked for me either. Well, I've, I've never really looked for another job, but um, I, you know th- that's kind of what. Uh, every now and again, I'll get a client who I've not spoken to for a while, who's connected to me on there. Will send me an email saying, "Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that?" So notionally, we do it in the business because we might pick up uh, business through that. But I don't think we have we ever actually have. Um, but it, it does at least let you see where people you know have gone to, um, which I guess in, in certainly in the consulting business can be useful to know. Yeah, I'm looking at mine right now. Um, anybody who wants to connect with me, just do a search for Tim Robertson. If you want to connect with David, you can connect with him there as well. Uh, I've got a lot of connections. I've got 500-plus connections, and I was trying to figure out how many I actually have. Okay. Uh Let's click all. I'll probably crash my browser. I don't know if you can actually see how many connections you have. I gotta imagine it's over a thousand, to be honest. I, is you know what? I would imagine that's probably one of those things you have to pay to get an account to uh, to be able to see. That's that, exactly that sort of thing. Sounds like the sort of thing they would expect you to have a premium account for to uh, to well, be able to. I monitor. do. Re- I do wonder where it's going to go. Because Microsoft bought LinkedIn. It's part yeah. of the Microsoft family now. 
and they seem to like to give stuff away for free quite often yeah i think i think what the when they when they make an acquisition acquisition like that normally what they're looking to do is is bolster online services so i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if even in the future if you have office 365 then you'll be able to search uh, for contacts um, with from Outlook with it using LinkedIn, and you maybe you'll be able to sync it with your Skype for Business directory and that sort of thing, so you can use it to to hook up with people that way. That's kind of the sort of thing Microsoft tends to do with that sort of product. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah, so, I hope they make it better. I mean, yeah. Talking of making social media better, I've had an interesting problem this week with Twitter. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I. People who follow me on Twitter will probably know notice that I'm nowhere near as active on there as I used to be, and one of the reasons for that is that I've started getting an awful lot of um, tweets. I was really confused by it because I was getting all these tweets from people in India and other places, all kind of right wing stuff, and. Uh, you know, I, it was really trying to bother me because it was really starting to bother me because I was blocking people left, right, and centre, and yet it kept on coming, and I couldn't understand where it was coming from. I, I, first of all, I thought it was maybe it was some sort of spam or scam or something like that, but it was so consistent over such a long period of time that it was obvious that that wasn't what it was. Um, and anyway, this week I actually figured it out because I was um, I'd seen the news about more people getting the being able to apply for the verified status on Twitter you know where you get the the blue tick that means yeah. that Twitter is verified that you are a person they've just opened that up for instead of it being kind of a celebrity thing they've just opened up that anybody can apply yeah they denied um, me and I'd heard some <laughs> yeah it doesn't surprise me I think their their rules for for applying it are fairly arbitrary um but anyway, I, I was kind of looking through... I started using Twitter again a little bit more than I normally did because uh, this had come up. It kind of brought me back to the site. And, and just by accident, and I forget how I did it, I figured out where all this right-wing stuff was coming from. There is some... My, my Twitter handle is David B. Cohen. Uh, and there is somebody who's some sort of right-wing guy who's got the Twitter handle, David B. Cohen 1. Uh. And basically, I'm, I'm getting a lot of his tweets. Um, and uh, it's really kind of annoying, <laughs> you know, because... No, absolutely. I do, I do not share the views of these people. And, you know, to get a random tweet from some right-wing Indian guy, uh, and when I say Indian, I'm talking about people from the Indian subcontinent. For some reason, they all seem to be engaging him with some reason, kind of echoing some sort of um, extreme right-wing sentiment. It's kind of annoying. It really kind of corrupts my timeline and doesn't appear I, I did drop the guy a tweet to say you know what because um, obviously you can change your handle fairly easily on Twitter and said would you be interested in perhaps changing your handle because I'm, I'm getting a lot of your traffic um, he's, ne he's not responded to me and so uh, um, yeah that anyway, anyway if anyone wants to know one of the reasons why I don't use Twitter very much that is why and I don't really know what I can do about it short of changing my handle which is not something I'm really keen to do because I like having my name and my handle and um, I'm not going to be able to do that very easily that sucks man yeah yeah, yeah. it is what it is anyway yeah I kind of want something like that there was this uh, Mac guy everyone thought I was him it was horrible alright yeah. that was me uh. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up a, uh, a a gadget magazine. It's called Gadget from the UK. Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my son gets that every month. It's yeah, it's I know it well. Yeah, it's just like ad ad ad. It, it well. it's like they take stuff that they find online and throw it in there, and it's that's a magazine now. I I don't yeah, get it. That's that's well that that's kind of the publishing industry nowadays unfortunately you know it's all the I, one of the problems we have is that all the tricks that people have learned online to try and create content cheaply and quickly have um increasingly been applied to the magazine 
um, format, particularly here in the UK where we we still have a lot. We've always had many more magazines than you've ever had in the States. I mean, we have – you go into a, a news a news agent's or a kind of bookstore here, and, you know, in the American bookstore, you'll normally see it – certainly I always remember this. You, you used to have, a like, a shelf at the front that had the magazines on, yeah. Um, we would – we will have probably – literally six or seven times that amount in an average news agents here even though even with the decline in press uh, over the last few years um a lot of them now are kind of long form um kind of aggregation of web articles uh, rather than um rather than monthly magazines but even so we still have an awful lot of that sort of printed media here it's very popular here um but unfortunately yes there's been a general dropping quality as people have adopted the kind of the web model of creating content which is do it cheap do it quick um and and you yeah these gadget magazines you pick them up they kind of read like it's kind of like reading the verge or something like that only it's really rubbish because it's uh you know, it's it's every month rather than every day. Well, I'm looking at it, and on page sixty or fifty-four, here's something that I'm kind of interested in. It's called the Pocket Chip Remix Retro with handheld gaming Raspberry Pi. And uh, there's a touch screen. It's kind of a small one, but there's a touch screen. Um, built for games, a full keyboard, plug and play. It's hackable, right? And they write about it like they've done anything with it. If you've ever loved the idea of the Raspberry Pi but wished it was a bit more plug-and-play, the Pocket Chip might be just the machine for you. And then Pocket Chip manufacturers want you to play with the machine and deliberately blah, blah, blah. Uh, The Pocket Chip is still new to the market right now, so a dedicated developer community is only just beginning to emerge. But they make it sound like they've used it. And, And here's the description. They put... It's an all-in-one, user-friendly, handheld Linux computer, which comes pre-installed with gaming software, a music creation package, and a variety of expansion possibilities. So it sounds like they've used it and they're talking about it. Except yeah. here's the thing. This thing doesn't even come out until October. So this magazine well, absolutely uh, they, has not they, used it. They probably haven't used it, but it has come out. I have one. <laughs> so it, that, it was it a Kickstarter it, campaign. Yeah, it says it doesn't come yeah, out you, until... Uh, you're not um, you're not going to be able to buy it generally, I think, until they've fulfilled all their Kickstarter commitments. But um, I ordered one on Kickstarter, and uh, I have mine arrived a couple of weeks ago. Like now, it? having said that, uh, I love it actually. It is really, really cool. Um, you know from conversations we were having while I was over with you in Maxstock that I'm really into these little maker type boards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have this one, I have the Raspberry Pi, in fact I have several Raspberry Pis, and I also have the new BBC Micro bit, which is the one that they're currently giving away to school kids here, yeah. which I was playing with this week. The pocket chip's really cool because I only I only pay fifty dollars for it, which is around the price of a Raspberry Pi, and yet you get this the it basically it's the same as the standalone um, board computer it's very it's tiny very small much smaller than the uh, raspberry pi but it has much more stuff integrated into it it has um bluetooth and wi-fi built in um and that sort of thing and then what they've done the pocket chip is kind of this very cool um kind of clunky case they built for it that it slots into with the screen and the keyboard uh and um some expansion possibilities as they've said and then they put a custom build on it that allows you to use the touchscreen and that sort of thing it's a really neat little it's yeah it is a neat little linux computer uh handheld it's a little bit bigger than the original game boy yeah um it it's fun for hacking stuff around on they're kind of overselling it when they say it's like a pocket games machine it comes with a kind of a um one of these uh kind of block based type um game building environments on it which is is running in linux so you, the idea is is that you can download games for it then and they're you no know, they're kind of you know the sort of thing you might might have seen in an original game boy but in color um and the idea is you, you download these games and you can hack them around yourself you can put new graphics in and you can use that to learn how to create your own ones but you know you're not you these these games are, are often very very simple and very limited they're not going to compete with anything on the iphone or anything like that but it's a fun little thing if you're into kind of you know messing around with linux and, and want a little pocket linux computer it's really neat device 
the downside of the gaming portion of it is that the um, the keyboard they mentioned on there is is one of those things. You know, if you if you um, if you got an old gamepad, I'm talking about from the 80s, and you you kind of ripped all the plastic off, and underneath it had these little um, like metal solder pads that you clicked when press when you press down like a micro switch, not even a micro switch, you know, just like a, a contact right. pad. That's what the keyboard is like on this. Mm. So you know it. It's not really a great gaming experience, and even a great typing experience. It's it's fine for hacking around on, but it's not something you wouldn't want to develop an entire game or or do a lot of coding on there. You'd want to plug a proper USB keyboard into it or use a Bluetooth one. Um, and again, the screen is tiny. Um, it's pretty sharp and it, it works pretty well. And the whole thing is is you know it's very well put together for the money, but it's it's not really a premium device. It's it is very much kind of. Um, from that maker type community but uh, I'm pretty happy with it and I'm looking forward to f- kind of fooling around on it but uh, yeah it's uh, it's a it's a neat little device but it already I, I, I see on their website that the uh, the price has gone up um, so it's now selling the pocket chip is now selling for $69 rather than 49 I paid for it um, but it's you know it's pretty well for a, what, these Kickstarter projects are often pretty ropey. This is probably one of the best ones I've ever had because it really feels like a pretty professional product. Interesting. I kind of want one myself, but eh. I've got too many of these kind of things already. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I've I mean, got too but, much on my plate to really to really do anything yeah, with this. No, that's the that's the problem with it. Is uh, one one things I, one of the things I want to try and do on it is um, I've I did a bit of looking online about how I could get um, Mame or some other emulators running on it, which is kind of what I want to do. It would make a, a kind of neat little uh, NES emulator, and because it has um, USB con- uh, ports on the back, you'd be able to plug a proper controller into it, and then it would be a kind of a nice little portable uh, NES. So um, so that'd be quite nice. It might be pretty cool, and yeah. it's, it's. It also is. Yeah, if you've, if you've never used Linux before, it's a good way of learning Linux because you <clears> kind of really need to get under the skin of Linux to get the best out of this thing. So um, you know, I I've been kind of on a little bit of crash course about how to get programs onto it and that sort of thing. So. I might have to take my what I was saying back because it's actually a three-page spread and it's actually kind of extensive. Uh, so maybe they did get a Kickstarter version of it. Maybe they did, or maybe they, um, you know, maybe they got some um, reviewers' guide or something that, that helped them write it up. I don't know. It looks interesting, hmm? but it's it's weird that magazines are still a thing. But I'm glad that they are. You know what I mean? I I, I, yes. I think we st- you if you've got a physical magazine in your hand. I think people will pay more attention to that than just an iPad. Yeah. It's too easy I'm, to skip I'm over my, content that you might actually be interested in on an iPad. Yeah, my, my son has, as I say, he has this one I subscribed to him for uh, as part of his uh, allowance. And also he has another one called How It Works, which is kind of a, you know, a science. Again, same sort of style, kind of short, punchy articles uh, about science and technology and that sort of thing and he i tell you he you know it makes his day when when he comes home and finds one of his subscription magazines has dropped through the door and he reads them cover to cover so he gets an awful lot out of them and, and i'm glad he does because they're not cheap mm. i mean you know that we're, we're talking about sort of 40 50 dollars a year for, for each one of these so it's compared to the content you get on the web it's it's pretty expensive but um, yeah he really really enjoys them and the, the advantage of something like that is that it becomes a reference you can go back to it and look at it later on where obviously stuff on the web is is even though it's always there you tend to kind of lose track of it and then you never see it again or you you forget how to see it you know even if you use like pocket or instapaper or something to store articles you're interested in the the process of actually going back and browsing through them is nowhere near the same as going Oh yeah, I remember about three months ago it was in that issue, and then picking the magazine up and flicking through. And you kind of, with a magazine, you kind of remember where it was in the magazine, so you always go right, you know, close to the page, and then you kind of find it. Whereas I, I, I tend to find uh, there's something about online content. You read it, and then you kind of, it, it doesn't really. You remember 
the you remember the concepts, but the actual words and the layout doesn't really stick in your head. Right. You know, he kind of just dribbles away, and then it's like if you can't if you didn't bookmark it or store it somewhere and then and kind of know where it is it's almost like you know well i've got to go and google for it again and i might, might not be able to find it um there's something about the physicality of a magazine that that i appreciate as and as i say i grew up in the uk where we were always really big into magazines so i've always been into them and you know i kind of still appreciate them for that they're part of my uh, part of my childhood growing up i was uh I wasn't into magazines that much, to be honest. I was into reading books, comics. Magazines yeah. were just kind of a—I don't want to say an afterthought, but and they weren't—they were just never really a big deal for me. Yeah, I don't know if that's but just because yeah. in the U.S. they just weren't that big of a deal. I mean, they were, well, but, but they I, weren't. I, yeah, they, I'm sure they're obviously their U.S. circulations must have been much larger than than the certainly the tech magazines that I saw when I was growing up yeah. compared to the UK ones because a much larger market. But I always noticed they were far less available, and um, often American magazines they didn't seem to come out anywhere near as frequently or regularly as the UK ones did. I'd go, I'd, I'd remember spending summers in in the U.S. and being surprised that. Um, that there might only be one issue or one and a half issues over an eight-week period that comes out, um, whereas you know in the UK, you, you, I mean it hit it hit every single month. It was regular as clockwork when the new ones came out, um, and uh, yeah. But but I always appreciate American magazines. The quality of the printing was always a little bit better, and some of them, I there was there was one I I absolutely adored. It was a science fiction and kind of uh so it had a bit of, of real science and also science fiction stories in it a magazine called omni oh yeah man, of course I, oh i i loved omni and yeah. we couldn't get it in the uk at all so every time i re- i remember every time we we flew out to the states we were on one of the american airlines where they would have magazines in a rack that you could read on the plane i would go around and i would collect you know popular mechanics popular science uh, and Omni, all of the ones I could find on the plane, I'd have them in a big stack in front of me, and that was me for eight hours, kind of catching up. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Om- Omni was my favourite, even though, you know, the age I was reading it, a lot of the lot of the science fiction um, stories, I didn't really understand that well, but I still absolutely loved it. And I remember the the yeah the paper and the way it was printed was absolutely gorgeous. It was a real work of art. The only time I really got into magazines was when I first got into the Mac in the mid '90s, and yeah. you know the, the, there was no internet to speak of at all. Uh, but the only place you could find any information would have been online stuff like AOL, eWorld, CompuServe, BBS, stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it was always AOL and eWorld. Well, not e- eWorld was never busy when I called it. I think I was the only one in West Michigan using that service. Uh, but AOL was always busy. I'd always get the busy signal. And so, quite honestly, I don't think the pace of technology moved as fast in the 90s or even part of the 2000s as it does today. Because yeah. I could read something in a magazine and it hadn't even come out yet. You know? Yeah. Although I will say, you, I could probably have written a, a magazine about Max in January and nothing would have changed by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is um, that is a bit of an issue, isn't it? You know, I don't know what's I, going on. I was really listening don't. to, uh, you know what? I'm gonna just pull up my iPhone and look because I I want to give credit where credits due. And it's funny, it's because uh, this podcast they were actually talking about quite a few of the things that we've been talking about lately. Um, Accidental tech podcast. It's yeah. it's yeah, pretty I, geeky. I just, I know. I, I listen to that one. That's um, it's. Uh, they're a, they're a fun bunch of guys, but they are kind of hardcore geeks, and they, they are. they're quite unapolo- unapologetic about it. I don't know why I can't speak tonight. Um, it's Marco Arment, who is uh, kind of a big developer in the Mac community. Um, he, he was the one who created Instapaper, so uh, product I mentioned a, a, a while ago. Uh, a friend of theirs, Casey Liss, who um, I. I think is a writer, uh, a part-time writer, uh, and then John Syracuse, who is the um, who is the guy who used to do those really long, incredibly detailed uh, OS ten reviews every year in uh, Ars Technica. Yep. So uh, these guys, yeah, these these guys are um, hardcore geeks, but they 
they talk they talk a lot of sense a lot of the time and and even when they, and what's good about them is something I like about our show as well is that sometimes all three of them will have a different viewpoint and violently disagree with each other in a friendly way and I find always find that engaging to listen to I, I'm totally with you there um, that being said they talked about on the last episode the dearth of any new Max and it's I think it's becoming a real problem I, I really do I, I think it's yeah. we're at the point now where there's almost no excuse for it from Apple. You know, I know they said, well, Max, they sold four point something million of them. And some people are like, wow, that's that's not a lot. Well, yeah, it's because they're selling the same Max that they've had for 18, almost 24 months now. Other than the Mac uh, MacBook, the rest of them has just got slight speed increases and that's about it. They made a good point, actually, on the show I was listening to the other day, which was if you were after them, if you need a Mac today... Um, it's better value to go out and buy a, used, a three-year-old used one than it is to buy a brand new one. Sure. Because cause you'll often get exactly the same hardware. Yep. Only you'll you'll pay used prices for it rather than new. Yep. So and then you then you'll get you will also avoid the double kick in the nuts that Apple will give you, which is when they do update it immediately, your machine is goes from being the latest one to the three-year-old one. Yep. Yeah, I. Look, I, I understand Apple sells a lot more iPhones and iPads, but it really does feel like they're just crapping on the Mac. Like they don't even care anymore. And like, well, if you want a Mac, it's yeah, we understand it's three year old hardware technology, and you know, I and we understand that the PCs that are being released now just fly right past these machines as far as specs. But you know what? If you want to, you want a Mac. This is what it is. Especially if you're looking at a Mac Mini, that's that's almost insulting at this point. I would never recommend anybody buy a Mac Mini. Uh, they're 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 just such an underpowered machine. And I'll be honest, I'll say the same thing about MacBook. I'm not happy with that machine. Yeah, I look the MacBook. In some respects, you can kind of feel like you're giving it a bit of a pass because. Um, you know they are they are they have a specific design goal there, and and everything is sacrificed to the design goal of uh, effectively a laptop that's the size and weight of an iPad. Um, now you can argue, you can we could argue till the cows come home about whether that is a, a worthwhile machine to to try to create, but it it is what it is. Um, my my brother has one and he absolutely loves it he has a second generation one which apparently is a little bit faster uh, and he absolutely loves it and that's his main work computer and he really really digs it so it works for some people um it's i don't think that's a huge market but it, it is what it is and that's the only one that's that's getting any love at the moment um everything what? else yeah the last the mac mini which you know what i really feel bad for because i always think the mac mini's been an underappreciated machine at apple um and i've always thought it's one of their better computers because it's i think the value you get for it you're not paying for a, a screen you don't necessarily need i always think it's it's a great mac but the problem is the last one they put the macbook air in it's in it and that made it hugely underpowered. Yep. And and there's no need to do that because, it, it, all right, it's a small form factor machine, but it, it you know it, it can run faster and hotter than the MacBook Air can. So um, yeah, that's that's it's 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 not it's really not good. No. It's really not good. And the problem is, you look at it and you start thinking, well, you know, is is this the beginning of the end for the Mac? Is 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 it because Apple's losing interest in it? They, it's hard to understand. They are such a big cash rich company it's hard to understand how they cannot keep developing more than one thing at a time but, I, you know, I don't get it at all no, I, 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 you know and Tim Cook's meant to be the operations guy and know how to do this thing this sort of thing but I just can't understand how they seem to have this continuing problem where corporate focus is only focused on one or two products at a time and everything else lapses while they focus on that. They, they made this uh, stupid watch, and they let the Mac just kind of linger and, and swing on the vine. Well, you know... They, they, they obviously they can't the do both. And well, the, the, the problem is, yeah, they, make the, they go into the watch because they want to diversify. They want to have a more diversified portfolio of products. So the watch is a bet, and... You know what? That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. As you and you know, we, as listeners know, you and I have differing views on the watch. I still love my watch, and I I'm a big proponent of the watch. However, I don't understand how you can't do the watch and you can't update Max at the same time. And there's a lot of speculation about um, 
you know, the Intel's latest chipsets, the Skylet chipsets haven't been very good, and there's been uh, all sorts of problems with them, and Microsoft's really suffered. Microsoft's really taken it, uh, t- taking it in the shorts from the Skylet chipset because their Surface Pros and the Surface Book device they have have really been crippled by all sorts of issues. Now they've got a battery problem that apparently is is, is a software problem. It's not a hardware problem as well. So it, I mean, we don't know. It could be that, that Apple developed new Skylake versions of all of their hardware and they just thought it wasn't good enough. It was too buggy and that's why they've held back. But, you know, the, the problem is is that the Mac Pro, as, as a prime example, when that when the trash can, as it's called, the little cylinder came out, they, you know, there was all this uh, a, you know, this is our new product that's made in the US, uh, who says we can't innovate and all this sort of thing and then they just left it for three years and yep. it's just, for the, for the it's prime. still sitting there it's 3000 or $4,000 base models and it's running at this point, honestly three and a half to four year old technology and they're going to charge those kind of prices. That's insulting. That is I, I, that is looking at the professional graphic users and and videographers who have traditionally relied on the big Mac Pros and just smacked them right in the face and said, "Shut up. We don't care about you. Yeah. Here's your thing. Like it. We made it look like a trash can on purpose. Okay. There's a reason we made it look like a trash can because it's going to be trash technology." In three years, it's going to be the same thing, and we're still going to charge a premium price, even though you could pay half of that, half of it, and get a PC that will blow the doors off the Mac Pro for half the price. I, I, I think I had a conversation online with um, with Brendan, uh, Brendan Rowland, one of sure. our regular contributors, and I actually put, I said to him, I said, I feel the Mac Pro, uh, the, they made the same mistake the Mac Pro they made with the Apple Cube the QG4. The problem is, I think one of the issues with it is that the innovation they put into the case design just makes it harder. You have to do special tooling, special uh, components to upgrade it. And all of that disincentivizes you from putting the right right amount of work in. The, one of the advantages of the old Big Mac Pro was that it, it, uses, it used mostly standard PC components. You wanted to put new stuff in it, new graphics cards, whatever. You just bought a PC one and made the right changes to make it work on a Mac. Whereas um, you can't do that with the, uh, with the trash can. It needs special products. And those have to be developed by Apple. And if Apple's not doing that, then you're kind of you're up a creek without, without an Apple. <laughs> so let's say you, you wanted to get the, the best Mac Pro but you want more RAM in it, right? It comes with 16. Oh, goody. Let's say you want to go up to 64 gigs of RAM. Yep. Just 64. That's it. Now, if I go to our sponsor, MacSales.com, they're selling DDR RAM, not for this Mac Pro, but it's DDR3 RAM. Same speed. Actually, it is. This is for the Mac Pro. I take it back. This will work with this Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. 474 bucks. How much does Apple charge for that? $1,200. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you well, kidding me? I mean, it's it's always been well known that that's the most expensive way of buying upgrades for Macs is buying them through Apple, but that's kind of taking the mickey. That um, that is that that's really insulting. Is. That this is why I'm happy to have MacSales.com as a sponsor because here you go. You want a clear example of why you go with a third party to upgrade your Mac Pro? There you go. Sixty-four gigs of RAM. You can get it from Apple for twelve hundred bucks, or you can just get it from OWC for less than five hundred. Less than five hundred dollars. Mm. Are you kidding me? It's insulting. Yeah. Apple well, is to just... Be fair, to, be, to be fair, when Apple set the prices for that RAM three years ago, it was probably a lot more expensive, even from OWC, than it is now, because prices of memory have dropped. Sure, it was so probably probably, $800 only, then at OWC. Yeah, one of the advantages of having, of having three-year-old hardware is that you're paying three-year-old prices for all the components. Now, at, I, I would agree with that to a certain point, but not when it comes to RAM or upgradable parts as you're building your own machine at Apple. They've always put a premium price on things. And more no, than I a premium, they, they put an insulting price. 
And I don't, I don't, I don't understand know. how they think they can still get away with this. And obviously they can't because they haven't even bothered to upgrade it. They don't care about users anymore. They really don't. I, I, I'm, I'm not on this rah rah. Apple can do no wrong bandwagon. This is, this is insulting. They should be called to task on this. This is, if anyone from Apple is listening, and I know they used to. I don't know if they do anymore. If you're listening to this, do something about this. Stop insulting people. Stop ignoring your users. Do something correct other than iOS, okay? How about that? What what got you here? What sir what what allowed you to survive as a company? Yeah, to add insult to injury on that. Um you know, the uh what's it called? Mac OS Sierra is coming. They've just dropped a whole load of support for older uh, Max when that comes out um, so they're kind of driving you towards these new these new old machines you look on the Apple website and the Mac Pro they still go on about the new Mac Pro yeah how innovative and everything it is and the thing's three years old yeah it's a now joke that is, in, in technology terms that's an absolute age um, and uh, yeah it's 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 just bad it just really is bad um, and it does leave this impression that they just don't care um, I'm. I really, really hope that's not the case. But Apple's a lot more open than they used to be. I really think it's about time they got Phil Schiller or Tim Cook to go and sit down with the Wall Street Journal or with um, Walt Mossberg or with somebody or John Gruber even or somebody. Well, like John that. Gruber has him on the show, and he capitulates yeah. on the the wussiest questions he could possibly because he's just happy that Apple's talking to him and he could be the big yeah. shot. I used to really like Gruber, but yeah. you listen to his interviews at WWDC with the higher people at Apple, yeah. and he doesn't bring any of this stuff up. Well, he said he has said. Uh, I listen to his podcast every week. He said that he kicked himself after he had them. Um, I think he had Craig Federici and Phil yeah. Schiller on it. WWC. I heard he it. said he kicked himself afterwards that the the question he wanted to ask that he didn't get to is what's going on with the with you know with the slow pace of hardware, particularly the Mac Pro. No, and because he, he was he was waxing their balls the whole episode. It was ridiculous. He, <laughs> yeah, he he's yeah. A, he becomes a fanboy up there. It's like, dude, you're you're not representing the Mac users of the world when that's the kind of questions you ask. You don't ask any hard ones. Yeah. Uh, well, it was you know that's. Really, you know, this is this is one of those situations where you need some journalism. You need somebody who's yeah who's prepared to go for a story uh, to try and get the quote when they know that that the, the quote might be controversial. Unfortunately, the problem with uh, his WWDC interviews is that yeah, he's still a little bit starstruck that he even that they even happen. Yeah, that, uh, that you could hear it in not, his voice. I don't. I, I don't I'm. I, I think enough of John Gruber that I don't think he does it on purpose, but I think he just inadvertently, because he feels, oh, it's so nice that they're talking to us, he, he you know, he can't help himself, but he soft pedals a little bit. More than a little uh, bit. And the thing is, he's always been an apologist for Apple. He, he will claim that he's a fan of the technology, but he's not an apologist, but he is. And that's fine. And I agree yeah. with probably 90% of the stuff he writes about. And his opinions on things. And I, and I also listen to the podcast. Not every week. I probably hear every third episode. Yeah. Um, but that being said, he's too smart to... He's too smart not to see it himself. And, and don't get on the podcast the next week and say, oh, I was kicking myself because, yeah, thanks. We appreciate it. And he'll do the same thing next year. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's in, he, he's he's one of the most well-connected guys into Apple. He could reach out and ask those questions and get some indirect answers if he really wanted to. But I, I, I part of me, one of the problem with with being an Apple fan is sometimes you don't want to hear the answer. You know, That's when, true. when when we first hear hear about the iPhone losing the headphone jack. We almost don't want Apple to confirm that because we're scared that it's true, uh, and uh, I suspect some of what's happening with the, with the Macs is that some some people in the in the kind of the Apple community don't want to hear the answers because they're scared the answers are are going to be answers they're not going to like yeah. because the answer could be, well, the MacBook is the future. Get used to it, and everything else is not really our focus anymore. Yep, um, and um, you know that that could be a. I mean, you know, the MacBook Air used to be the flagship product, and it's now been an afterthought to the to the you know the cheap entry level. Yeah, it's an afterthought. Uh, like I, 
let me tell you a story about this. A colleague of mine, uh, where I'm working at the moment, he, um, I sat down next to him the other day, and I saw he had a MacBook, a MacBook Air, 13-inch MacBook Air. And he was so thrilled about it. He said, oh, yeah, I bought this uh, this other computer. I, was it a... a and it was, I think, it was the one that there's new HP Spectres or something like that from from a department store here. And I had some problems with it. And anyway, it turned out it was faulty. And because it's so new, they couldn't get any parts to repair it. So I took it back to the store and I said I was going to have to return it. And they said we haven't got any more of them, but you can have something else of equivalent value. And so I decided to get a MacBook Air, and I'm so happy with it. He, he's never used a Mac before, so he's still in the kind of the uh, yeah. you know how different thing is and how nice everything is and everything like that. And I, I couldn't say it to him, but I looked over and I thought, dude, this is absolutely the worst time to buy a MacBook Air. Yeah, it's the worst you know, time to buy any it, Mac right now, actually. Yeah, but but in particular MacBook Air, because it's pretty much, you know, the even though it's nice and slim and all of that, you know, it doesn't have a retina screen and it has old uh, internals and all of that. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty much one of their worst computers right now. Um, and the and, the thing uh, is, he it's it, it is so new to him that he's going to have this love affair with it for a little while, and then he's going to start looking into it and reading some Mac stuff and realizing that he actually got a pretty bad computer for the amount of money he yeah. paid, and he's yeah. not going to be happy. And that's a hundred percent Apple's fault. So yeah, with that, let's take true. a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm Bart Bouchard, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.letstalk.ie. Back here on Tech Fan Podcast 264, I'm Tim Robertson. He is David Cohen, all the way from Manchester. I like. I just like saying that. Yeah. Um, we do want to uh, obviously thank our sponsor, MacSales dot com. You know they got a big going back to school sale right now, David. That's uh, that's a big time here in the U.S. You know you get yeah. some really really good deals, and I just happen to be looking on their website, and I saw something that I thought, well, you, that is a really good deal. Now we're recording this podcast July twenty ninth, twenty sixteen. So I can't guarantee prices beyond that date. <laughs> yeah. So you can follow the link at either mymac.com or techfanpodcast.com. Uh, and I'm going to put a link directly into this product. But a D-Link wireless AC750 dual band cloud router. I mean, this is a very fast router. Twenty four seventy five right now. Less than 25 bucks. 25 bucks for a router. That's crazy. That, and this is a fat, it's, it's a D-Link. Talk, it's it's a really good router. It's, it, the regular price is 90 bucks on this thing. Yeah. Less than 25 bucks. That's that's pretty and, cool. And you know what? Everybody should buy an extra one of these because we're all moving to this uh, kind of new world of the Internet of Things. And one of the things that I've been kind of reading up on is how insecure these Internet of Things are. Yeah. They are they are horrible. Absolutely horrible. Because security is an afterthought if it's put on at all. And so that means the last thing you want to do is put uh, smart light bulbs or smart cameras or smart um, doorbells or uh, smart fridge magnets or whatever it is you want. You want. The last thing you want to do is put those on your main wireless network because you're basically... You're just putting a, a, an attack vector on to your network. That means somebody might be able to get to your network and get your computer and your bank account and all that sort of thing. So everyone should really, if you if you're going to get into that technology, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners are thinking about it because, hey, we're tech fans. Um, get an extra router, connect it to your first one, and use that to hang all the Internet of Things stuff off. So you've got a separate network that's safer. Uh, and doesn't have your computer with your bank account and your email address and your Amazon account and your Facebook account and all that other good stuff hanging off it. So, uh, you know, you could buy two of these for $50. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's amazing. That's a really great price. It's actually a really attractive unit as well. Um, you know, it's, if you want to, you can actually plug in a USB hard drive to this and access it anywhere on the Internet. 
That's pretty yep. cool. Uh, it's also got a built-in LAN. It's got four LAN ports. It's got an Ethernet port. It's you know what? This is a really nice router. This is something if you're if you're if you've got an older Wi-Fi router, or you hate using the Wi-Fi that comes with your cable television, this is a really good alternative. You'll be a lot happier, and it's dual band, so that's going to be yeah. You know, it's uh, two point four gigahertz and five, so it's nice, fast, uh, and all- inexpensive. Also, as well, yeah, it also doesn't look like a, a standard black no. plastic black box. This has actually got some design cred to it yeah it's it kind of like a white white mac pro it actually <laughs> it kind of does actually i i kind of like the look of it better than the mac pro to be honest yeah. and not just because i'm down on three-year-old technology but this is an attractive router i mean it really is so uh we will like i said i'm going to put a link in the show notes to the d-link wireless ac 750 dual band cloud router that's a mouthful i gotta do something about that Tech companies are just the worst when it comes to naming their stuff. They really are. So, David, let's get into our feedback. Um, You know, we've got a a little bit of stuff here because, obviously, we were not on – we didn't record last week, uh, even though we had a show. And it's been two weeks since we were at the MacStock conference, which, by the way, once again, uh, I had a great time. Uh, It was really nice seeing – so many people there that I haven't seen in a while. And there was some surprises. Brian Chafin was there from the Mac Observer. I was totally not expecting to see Brian Chafin. And we've stayed in touch after the event. Um, he he wrote a book. I'm not going to say any more than that. But he wrote a book. Uh, he uh, is kind of... Um, it's not published yet. But he asked me if I would oh. read it. And this I'm is a book half- he'd already written. Yes. You said yeah. he wrote, but you're, you're kind of implying that he met you at MacStock and then wrote No, no, no. He, this is a book he wrote. <laughs> uh, he asked me if I would be interested in reading it, and I said absolutely. And I, he made me promise that I would give him a uh, a fair and unbiased opinion. He doesn't want anybody, well, like I said earlier, waxing in his balls. Well, maybe he does, but not me. Um <laughs> I, I got to be, I'm about a little bit more than halfway through it, David. It's really, really good. Yeah. I, I I keep stopping myself going, I know the guy who wrote this. Holy crap. This is really good. So that's all I can say. I can't, I can't say anything else about that right now. But just know I'm reading a book from uh, an old friend, Brian Chafin. He is uh, one of the head guys over there at the Mac Observer. And, man, that guy can write. He's He's got the talent for it. Science fiction, by the way. That's really cool. It is. It's very, very cool. I'll ask him if I can share it with you, too, because I know you would really like it. Um, So let's go back to our feedback here. We would love to hear from anybody listening. Super simple to contribute to the show. Simply send us an email to theshow at techfanpodcast.com or go to techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com and leave a uh, comment in the show notes, and we'll read them right here on the show. You want to read the first one? Because this is uh, sure, yeah. you and Brandon. And I Brandon. Yes. Yeah. So so this this is, this is goes back to a conversation we were just having about the Mac Pro. And I'd said, because uh, a uh, bit of background, uh, as, as fans of the show know, I, I have uh, I have a, a couple of Mac Pros, actually, I've, uh, now. I have a, a, the original one, the uh, 2006, I think mine's... So the 1.1? One, it's, mine's actually the two two point one because okay. um, it's the actually the one with the uh, quad core processors in yeah. it. But effectively, it's the same model. Um, uh, no, actually, the the very first one was actually designed by Intel. Most people don't know that. Okay, it, it was one of the very first Macs ever not designed by Intel. But you got to remember when they came out with this, the iPod was a huge deal. They were just switching over to Intel. They had the uh, the G five Mac just kind of languishing there and so intel actually took the lead in designing and building the first generation mac pro with the intel chip and if you open one up and look at it compared to any ones especially the one right after it you'll see a huge difference apple is much better engineering than intel is so they have they had the one one and the two one the two one was a, a firmware mod to take quad core processors which is the one i have and i've i've modified that so it runs el capitan which is not designed to do it's not approved to do um so uh we i was talking about this with brendan because he's he's been looking into this thing so i i I actually said to him i said the nub of the mac pro problem 
uh, and we were talking about this guy who tried to create a Hackintosh. Yeah. Um, I said the nub of the Mac Pro problem is that is, and one of the reasons I think they haven't updated it in so long is that most people just don't need it. Um, they, I don't think they they invest a lot of time in it because the, the truth is, and I said the truth is, much of the current consumer line is on a par with Mac Pro performance for many activities, and I suggest for real value and a lot less hassle. A cheese grater Mac Pro with a pile of upgrades, better GPU, faster CPUs, fastest CPUs you can get, SSD, etc., will fit a lot of use cases and not be far behind a modern Mac a modern Hackintosh taking a, a modern PC. So Brendan then came back at me and that said, having just within the last day taken possession of a cheese grater, a 2008 3.1, I've been given a, a bit of thought to the Pro model. He says, I can't believe the size and weight of this thing. You almost need a car trolley jack to move it. The entire case is made of metal about one eighth inch thick, and the innards are pretty weighty. That's true. He says, many people... Yeah, they really are heavy. Yeah. Many people are predicting that Apple will abandon the Pro model together, along with the Mini. Don't get me started on that. I've been a hu- long been a huge fan of the Mini and have three of them accumulated and repurposed over the years. I'd be shocked but and disappointed if Apple does ditch the Pro for a couple of important sort of reasons. Since the very start of the company, Apple's roots have been largely in the creative market, and Apple has always placed huge emphasis on that connection, perhaps more so in the Jobs era than today. Think different, the dreamers, etc. There is no denying that Apple has long neglected its Halo machine, but it would be a big step to abandon it altogether. Firstly, that would be a big blow. Would be a blow to Apple's long-established emphasis on the product differentiation of its computer-created people. But who knows? Perhaps Apple no longer cares. Maybe it's decided that mass-market consumer products are all that matters in today's world. I think. That's, Second, I think we kind of have our answer when their flagship yeah. pro- product is running three and a half, four-year-old technology, and they're still charging a super premium price. And don't and don't forget, they. I mean, it wasn't like the Mac Pro got a lot of love before the trash can came out. I mean, it really only got these incremental processor upgrades. It did, but they were still the workhorses. They yeah. and, and because they were so open, look, I was running Mac Specialist at the time, right? When yeah. people were upgrading those machines like crazy, stuffing them full of hard drives, uh, maxing out the RAM. And they were just workhorses. They just no, worked. I, yeah, don't get me wrong. I I love them. I, yeah. I, as I say, I have the one one. I actually <clears> bought a. Um, I managed to get hold of a very very cheap five point one recently, so that I can go to Sierra, and that's going to replace the one one. But I have to say, I've had a lot of Macs over the years, but the Mac Pro is probably my favorite. It, I really do love it. And you know that I was, I was hawking with OWC for upgrades for it while I was out Mac stock a couple. You of absolutely ago, so, were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, he said, uh, Brenda, going back to Brenda's feedback, he says, secondly, abandoning production of its only manufactured in the USA product would be unwise from a PR viewpoint, especially in these times of rising Trumpism. I don't know if the US press is as evil, poisonous and manipulative as the Murdoch male press here in the UK, but ditching US manufacturing would hand Apple's detractors an easy weapon on a plate. No, nobody would so care. I, I, would, I wish it was not true, but it would be, it would it would be, be on the verve for yeah, one day. Yeah, be five minutes in the news yeah. cycle. It will probably make some of the financial press, like yep. the Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. But you know, things are going to move on, especially in an election year. And the so, general population is not going to see that at all. No. They're just not. Uh, and then he goes. So I expect Apple to do something to update the Pro, despite totally screwing up the form factor from the infinitely practical cheese graters to the laughably practical trash can last time. Let's hope that wiser heads prevail next time around. Nope. I hope, I hope my hunch is right, but frankly, I wouldn't wager more than a modern sum on it. Cheers, Brendan. So, yeah. Yep. There's a PS. A postscript. Uh, oh, the PS. Oh, well, it, I, I'd, I'd made a quote. Uh, oh, yes. I, I say much of the current consumer line is on a par with Mac Pro performance. That was a quote from me. Yeah. And, uh, he said, top end, top end iMacs outperform the neglected Pro. How sad is that? Well, they do, but they don't. Uh, they yeah, do in say, most I, I things. For, yeah, I was saying for a lot of everyday tasks, normally if you need a Mac Pro, then you need it for kind of rendering or something, or VR or something like that. You need hardcore performance. So, so uh, Scott Wilsey, Hit me up on uh, the Twitter. Hit us up, I should say, on the Twitter. And this is about the conversations we were having what, three weeks ago now about the Hackintosh. Yeah. And he says, uh, it's not just the Mac Pro that's suffering. 
Apple is dropping the ball in hardware, especially video in general. The VR guys won't even look at the Mac because it's painfully inept. The Hackintosh is incredibly tempting. However, I'm with you guys on not wanting to spend all that time keeping the box just working properly. Uh, I used to build all my own PCs, for window PCs, for years. And tempting though it is, I'm not going back to that life, probably. Apple really needs to step up their game, though. And... Couldn't agree more on the Trashcam Mac Pro, by the way. That was Apple's can't innovate my ass statement, and they compromised it and haven't updated it in the process of making that statement. I thought it was a dubious machine when it was new, and now it's just a throw it's just throwing away money to buy one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, it, basically his he condensed our last segment to uh <laughs> two paragraphs. Yeah. Two, two tweets. Yep, yep. We are shamed. Uh, I, I, he must be a speechwriter for Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be angry if you said that. Well, I, I, I mean, I mean, in in his ability to um, con, comp- uh, condense his core co- his core comments into a tweet, not not because he necessarily agrees with uh, with Mr. Trump. Well, that was a direct message, and you're not limited to 140 characters either. Uh, Nevertheless, it was still very concise. So. Yeah, it was more concise than we Good did. Scott, and, and please, I'm I'm not accusing you of being like Donald Trump. I wouldn't <laughs> ever, I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy. <laughs> so we've got another one. Yeah, this is Paul Spatek. Hey, greetings. Your last podcast was impaired by annoying wine, starting from the point where Tim announced he was stepping away from the mic, 15 minute mark. I, I first read this and I thought, oh, is he talking about me with my annoying wine? But no, it was the sound error we had on the previous on. The show, which we we I think we apologized for. Already, well, we, yeah, we did, and and it started happening right before we started recording this episode. David is recording as well, so if something does happen, I get a clean copy. But the sound was actually coming through you on your channel as I'm recording in GarageBand. Yeah. But I think I tracked down the problem. I think it was the headphones I was using because I'm using a very expensive pair of headphones right now, which I don't. It's kind of overkill to use these just to hear your voice and over Skype and mono. Uh, but yeah. I replaced those headphones, did a test recording and, and I didn't hear the whine. So I'm hoping that it was simply something wrong with these headphones that I'm going to throw away in a trash can. Uh, <laughs> that looks nothing like the Mac pro, by the way, um, yeah. after this, after we're done recording, I'm not even yeah. gonna take the chance with there. They were cheap headphones. I've used them for like yeah. four years. They were just, I, you know, they're the kind of headphones that I would give to my kids. But I just always use them for the podcast. And, uh, what, you know, not to call out the company because, you know, again, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but here's the thing. They were Shures. They're, but they were Shures' cheapest headphones. Yeah. But I'm thinking something happened in the in the cord. And I think it was uh, causing interference. Uh, so well, yeah. Anything can break. I like Shure headphones. The, yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the problems with physical cables is that they do break and... When you get weird electrical stuff going on, then weird stuff happens. That's maybe that's why Apple's dropping it. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so Paul continues. Paul continues on a positive note. I'm a happy Mac sales used computer customer. My non-Retina MacBook Pro died. I need a computer in a hurry. I called up Mac sales and they had a late 2012 13-inch Retina laptop. It had the processor I wanted and came with a one terabyte SSD installed. That's a fast It machine. even had six months of the extended Mac warranty. Yeah. I immediately bought it, and nine months later, I'm happily enjoying my Mac. The people at Mac Sales OWC were great to deal with, and this latest and a long line of purchases is another win for me. You recommend o- recommended OWC to your listeners like me long ago. Thanks for a great tip on a great company. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I... I, I a few people reached out to me on Twitter and said, is it weird that Mac Sales is a uh, a sponsor of TechFan when you don't work at Mac Sales anymore? No, it's a company that uh, I've used for many years. I've been friends with the people in the company. Um, I'm glad that uh, that Paul got a really good machine through them. They, they've got excellent customer service. They have really good products and really great prices. And, and I couldn't we be happier. Saying, yeah. And as we were saying... That's a, what he did as a smart move to make over buying oh absolutely rest of the Mac Pro which is MacBook Pro which is really behind the times a late 2012 you know? Retina 13 inch with an SSD that's a fast machine well I, it's a fast it, the, the good thing when the when the Retina MacBook Pro came out is it was a fast machine and the the 
disappointing thing now is that here we are uh, four years later and the latest ones aren't that much faster yeah so and yet you know yeah and also haven't been updated in what every year yeah so we're we're uh, recording this episode really late i actually have to start dinner here pretty soon so we got to we got three more yeah. things we want to get through here really quick. Um, because I also I also have had because uh, it's it's yeah it's late it's even later it's there ten o'clock at night and my my wife has peered through the door and I think she's looking to to uh, go to bed so yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, the last three things number one Amazon's Chinese counterfeit problem is getting worse and you know when I actually put this note in three weeks ago it was a good story but. Um, it's gotten better since uh, then. A shoe. I, I can't remember the name of the company. Ber- they make Birkins. Yes. Birkins. Sands. Yeah. Yes. They they, have, they completely they have, pulled out. They've completely. They basically said it's not. They they've actually said if you buy anything from Amazon, it's likely to be counterfeit. Yep. You get no service from us, and we recommend you don't buy them from there. And ah, oh. oh. I hate also playing video. <laughs> I went to the link and CNBC spanned me. Yeah. I so hate that. Uh, yeah, the problem is is that. Amazon is allowing Chinese manufacturers to use them as a storefront. They are they are often it's not clear to the user because it says fulfilled by Amazon. You kind of assume it's an Amazon product uh, when in fact all they're doing is acting as a as a sales vehicle, and you end up with counterfeit stuff. And now what they've started doing as well is co- what they call co-mingling, which is if a manufacturer says to them. Uh, let's take an example. Oh, here I have a, a USB flash drive that's exactly. They, they somebody said even though it's a cheap copy, they say it's exactly the same as the uh, fastest 128 gig Samsung uh, um, Sa- uh, what they call SanDisk SSD drive you can get in USB form, uh, and they give the same part number. Amazon goes, sounds good to me, and they've put them in with the official stuff they've had from SanDisk, and then you don't know what you're going to get. You're either going to get proper one or you're going to get the counterfeit one it's worse than that because you go to the original the, the the real one from sandisk yeah and you scroll down on that info page for that product and it has a link to the cheaper one the counterfeit right there on the page amazon yeah. is not doing themselves any favors the problem is as well as amazon was doing they deliberately lured in these chinese sellers because of one reason they wanted to be uh aliexpress yeah and that's aliexpress has the cheapest stuff because it's all not all but most of it is counterfeit junk that you can get dirt cheap amazon saw an opportunity they went for it and it's going to come back and bite them in the ass because as more users think they're buying something real and they get junk it, people are just going to stop trusting Amazon. They're making the worst mistake they could possibly make here. Well, you know what? You see, Amazon's strategy is not to make money. It's just to grab volume. And this is a quick way of them grabbing volume. But it's going to bite them in the ass stuff. because more people are going to stop buying from them. I but I think the problem is that the, what Amazon trades on at the moment is that, you know, because it's so easy to return stuff and because it's so low friction to return stuff... I think a lot of people, I felt like a little bit like this myself, they'll go, mm, not sure this product's right, not sure if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's truly, you know, the price looks unreasonable, I'll buy it anyway, and then I'll always return it if it's no good. And they don't, they kind of don't blame Amazon for it, they kind of, uh, they just kind of uh, shrug their shoulders and go, well, I'll take the punt, and if it's no good, I'll just return it. Um, and kind of Amazon gets off scot-free in that case, because they, you know, they, they, Positioning themselves just as the the kind of the the route to market and not the actual seller of the product. I suspect it, this won't change unless it really does cause a change in in consumer behaviour. Um, and at the moment, they're carrying on with it, so I I can't imagine it, it it's uh, it's hitting them that bad yet. It's going to hit them bad from a PR standpoint. Yeah, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, I got obviously from my tweets. Um, email, Facebook. I I talk about video game stuff, especially the classics, quite often. I, mm-hmm. I have a website called notnewvideogames.com that I don't really ever promote because it's just kind of a thing. But I must have gotten, and I'm not even exaggerating, I must have received 20 either tweets directly at me or on Facebook or email. 
Nintendo Entertainment Sister NES Classic Edition coming this November ships with 30 games. It looks like a tiny little original NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. And I had yep. so many people going, are you getting this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Isn't this cool? Um, it It is kind of cool. I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. I it, There's no got, reason for me to buy not, it. You're not really the target market. This is for people who've got uh, you know, NES nostalgia and yet don't have the time, interest, technical skills to kind of get MAME going or um, set up a system or buy a retro system or anything. Uh, and, you know, this is coming direct from Nintendo, so it, you know, it has... The, You'll yeah, see this in of, Walmart and Target and yeah, Best and, and, Buy. And this, It'll be an impulse buy exactly. nostalgic. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to be reasonably cheap, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know um, it's all going to be emulated stuff on there. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if, if Nintendo is actually going to use the illegal emulation software to run this thing. Well, that's that's to me is going to be the most interesting thing is how they actually pull this off. If it's uh, if it is like that, uh, I really hope somebody uh, rips one apart. Oh, uh, that'll happen within an hour of yet. it going on sale. <laughs> if if so, someone can hack this thing and make it run more ROMs and. I, you know I might be interested in that. I might be interested if, in it from a hacking standpoint. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, if um, if the community figures out that actually the quality of how they're delivering these games is better than just regular main emulation, I'll probably buy one because um, you know it does look pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, and and obviously you do get a proper NES controller with it. Um, well, uh, isn't it but, wireless? You know, it's, we'll see. Uh, is, it, is it wireless? I don't know. I, I, I can't see from, from this here. Uh, there's one here with a wire on it. All I right. think they're going to have two. Looks like there's going to be one with a wireless controller, one with a regular controller. Well, let's see uh, what happens when it comes out. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the news and some of the hacking sites that uh, I frequent. And if it yeah. looks like a cool thing that I can actually do something with, I'll probably pick it up. This is a, yeah, it's out in November, isn't it? But, so you know, I've got the, I've got the little tiny ColecoVision. I've got... All the Atari ones, the little tiny ones, they're cool, but I never use them. Oh. So, yeah. yeah. Last okay. story before we wrap uh, this can up. We, can we leave the last story? To oh, absolutely. Week? Absolutely. I, I, I really want to get into this a little bit more okay. than just saying about it. So, so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Uh, we want to thank everybody who contributed sending in uh, feedback this week. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the show at techfanpodcast.com. If you're a regular listener, we'd appreciate it if you can go into uh, either Google Play or the iTunes store and leave a review of the show there. That would really uh, make us very, very happy. Uh, the last one for the show was over a year ago on iTunes. So if somebody could go in there and write us a review, I'd appreciate it. And yep. with that, we'll see you. Well, David, you won't be here next week or the week no, after. Next, cu- next couple of weeks, I am on vacation, and we're going on a cruise to the Arctic Circle. That's going to make it tough to Skype. And I will be in Indianapolis the day that I usually record the show, so I'm not quite sure if we're going to uh, skip a week, which we may do, or if I'll record a solo show on the weekend or maybe even pull in Owen Rubin. I haven't talked to Owen for a little bit. Uh, But regardless, uh, whatever happens, we'll see you soon. Bye. See you then.